You are listening to Resurrection Indiana. To find out more about our meeting times and location, check us out on Facebook or Instagram, or visit our website at resurrectionindiana.org. The Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet. Maybe another way to put it, that we are getting at the question of contentment and our discontent very often. So discontentment. Nelson Rockefeller, a member of one of the wealthiest American families in history, was once asked, how much money is enough? And his answer was, just a little bit more. Discontentment. Do you know that statistically, people who earn less money than their neighbors are more likely to commit suicide than people with the same income in a less wealthy neighborhood. In other words, more likely to be suicidal than people with the same income in a community that is more similar, you know, where people are more similar to themselves economically. A professor I once had wrote a book called Still Bored in a Culture of Entertainment. Sort of an interesting book about our culture. But it came out of his being asked to speak on the topic of boredom at a conference. A conference that was held in Orlando, Florida. Home of Walt Disney and Universal Studios and and all manner of amusement parks. Discontentment. Our culture constantly communicates the message that contentment is to be found in having just a little bit more. Whether it's more money or more stuff or more fun. And yet the more that we pursue those things, very often the more we find ourselves even more discontent. It's a hard issue. And the question of the Tenth Commandment cuts through all of those things and gets to the question of where do we find contentment? Where do we find satisfaction? Where do we find fulfillment? Ultimately, of course, we need to find contentment for our discontented hearts in God. But how does that happen? What does that look like? There is this command, of course, to be content. Maybe it doesn't sound like that, but that's what it's getting at. Now, in other commandments, you know, we've gone through nine now, and actually scholars have sort of debated over maybe the fact that this one, you shall not covet, seems like sort of a downer, or seems like sort of an anti-climax. You know, we already covered murder, we already covered adultery, we already covered all the juicy things, and then we sort of end with this sort of thing that isn't about actions at all. All of those other commandments have parallels in other cultures in the ancient Near East. You can find similar laws in other cultures way beyond Israel. We would even today say they're almost universally understood, but in the 10th commandment, we find something that really doesn't have a comparable law anywhere else. And part of the reason for that 
there's that question of contentment. This command deals with our hearts, our thoughts, our desires, more than with our explicit actions. Now, a couple of things are important to understand about the act of coveting. You know, in the first place, really what I just said, there's a lot of discussion about whether coveting is just our inward thoughts and desires or whether it is always connected to an action that's prompted by those desires. In other words, when Jesus speaks in the New Testament of do not commit adultery or do not kill, he certainly, of course, makes clear that the actions are wrong, but he also brings into play and into question the desires that are behind them. But because the Ten Commandments only speaks of desires, there's an assumption, then, that coveting is only wrong if it causes us to commit a wrong action. Now, again, this commandment is different than the other nine. It deals exclusively with the attitudes of our heart. Whether or not those things ever become actions. So in the first place, it is getting at something that may or may not bear fruit in an outward action. But secondly, it's simply the act of desiring something. The command is not simply do not covet, because there are some Desires that are not only permitted, but they're actually even commendable. You know, you can be desiring, coveting, as it were, good things, right things. So the command, though, is telling us what we shouldn't desire. And in short, by the list that it gives us there, it's pretty clear it's telling us not to desire anything that belongs to someone else. Anything that is not rightfully yours either yours to have or yours to pursue. And speaking of things that belong to someone else, we're given a list, and this is maybe sort of interesting. You know, we've, we've covered some commands that are just very clear. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. But this one, you shall not covet. Your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, male servant, female servant, ox, donkey. Why I chose those two animals, I don't know. Now, you can find suggestions as to why those things are listed. I mean, there are scholars that have said, well, house is understood as the entire household. A wife is near the head of the household. Oxen and donkeys, of course, stand for all livestock. The reality is, and hopefully as we've seen through the other Ten Commandments, the specifics are not what is most important. We have often said that the commands lay out what is maybe the most egregious example, and we should understand that lesser things are included as well, or more specific things are also included. In other words, we take the list as examples, and most of all, pay attention to where it ends. You could get hung up on, you could get hung up on neighbor's wife, male servant, female servant, ox, donkeys, but when you get to the end, or anything, <coughs> That is your neighbor's. And the point is that you are not to covet anything that belongs to someone else. Now, there are examples of this all over Scripture. Later on in the Old Testament, during the time of Israel, 
there's a prophet named Elisha and his servant, he has a servant Gehazi, who covets a reward that's offered to Elijah. In the book of 2 Kings, there is an army commander from another country, and his name is Naaman. And he comes to Elisha because he is suffering from leprosy, some sort of a skin disease. And Elisha heals him. And in response to what the prophet has done for him, out of his gratitude, he offers a reward. He offers him some riches. He offers him, he's a wealthy man. So he offers him a reward, but Elisha refuses that. But after he leaves, this commander leaves, and the servant Gehazi runs after him, he makes up a story that his master has changed his mind, and he asks for the reward himself. Well, the commander is glad to give this reward. When Gehazi returns, Elisha asks him, was this a time to accept money and garments and olive orchards and vineyards and sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? And then he curses Gehazi with the same leprosy that he had just healed in the commander. Now, depending on what type of Bible you have, whether it's a study Bible with lots of notes or headings or whatever, many Bibles title this section Gehazi's Greed. He wants things that do not belong to him. And those desires cause, bring about his judgment. I can give you, even as I'm standing here now, several other examples off the top of my head that are in the scriptures as well that make clear that this command is to be taken just as seriously as the others. But what leads to our discontented hearts anyway? Now again, all of the commandments even though they're addressing outward actions, are also concerned with the attitudes of our hearts. At the same time, that doesn't mean that we stop focusing on the outward actions, that we allow ourselves to think that we are keeping God's law and his commandments. We know that Jesus says things like, do not commit adultery, do not kill. Jesus says, you have heard that it is said. And then he goes on to say, but I say to you that anyone who looks upon a woman with lust or who is angry with someone, those heart attitudes, you too are also guilty. But even if you're familiar with the scripture, even if you're familiar with the words of Jesus, that rarely stops us from being content with just the actions and to ignore the heart when it isn't behind them. Some of you have heard me give this example in, in other contexts, and mostly as we've talked about students. And, but a friend of mine who works with college students has talked about um, situations in which students who he's known, who have grown up in Christian homes, they have grown up in the church, their families belonged to the church, and they grew up in the church, and they were came to worship every Sunday, and they were part of youth group, and were sort of, from that standpoint, sort of model students. And then my friend, who works as a minister to college student, sometimes gets calls, communication from parents whose children have come off to the college where he serves, and they're concerned because their students who were so well-behaved and so 
committed to their church and to their faith seem to have just jumped off the deep end from when they got to college. And my friend, in getting to know some of those students, said very often what's actually happened is that the student is the same person that they always were. When they were living at home under their parents and they were in high school and they were attending and part of a church community, they thought and expected and hoped that they would be fulfilled by doing all the right things. But when they felt that maybe they weren't fulfilled and the whole thing became, and all their commitments felt like a burden, and now all of a sudden they're off at school and they're away from those communities and thinking, maybe there's another way to find fulfillment. They decide to fulfill themselves by relaxing a little bit, having some fun. Their heart was in the same place that it had always been. And the bottom line was that parents who were suddenly concerned had been completely satisfied with the outward behavior. And they were concerned when they stopped seeing that outward behavior. But they were far less concerned for what was happening in the heart underneath. It's the part that Jesus cares about. It's the part that Christians, if you follow Jesus, ought to care about. Very often the Christian life gets boiled down to a system of morality that you can be comfortable with because you think you're a moral person. You can be concerned with appearances and you give others the appearance that Christianity is for people who have themselves together. Now, if you follow Jesus, and some of you have heard me say this, if you believe in Jesus, are there moral and ethical implications to that? And should your life be conformed in a particular way? Yes. Because this is how God has designed you to live. And yet at the same time, the Bible also says things like, delight yourself in the Lord. Even the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the very first question says that our primary purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so when we are satisfied just with keeping the letter of the law, we overlook the heart, we miss Jesus, and sometimes the picture of faith and spirituality that we present to others is not life-giving, but in fact, it can be deadly. And here's why. That inward aspect makes a huge difference. You know, I've mentioned throughout a few times already that there's discussion about whether the Tenth Commandment is only about our thoughts and desires, or whether it, it only comes into play when those thoughts and desires become actions. See, the thing is, during the, in the Jewish religion, during the time of Jesus, there was a tendency to make individual laws external. Meaning this, that the laws governing individual behavior, the religious laws and so forth, were only about actions. And therefore, if you did the right things, you could be said to be keeping the law. Now, that hasn't changed. First of all, if you think about it, most of us do that, whether you're Christian or not. However, even today, 
There's a story of a Jewish rabbi who once said to a Christian theologian, you know, one of the greatest differences between our two religions, Judaism and Christianity, is this. This idea that you have committed a sin just by desiring it or thinking it. We believe you have to actually commit the physical act before it is really sin. And of course that has to be true because otherwise we would be sinning all the time. Here's the thing. Yes, if that's true, you are sinning all the time. We actually believe that's true. The reformer Martin Luther says that this commandment is not for those whom the world considers wicked rogues. This commandment is for those who are the most upright. People who wish to be commended as honest and virtuous because they have not offended against the preceding commandments. The idea is that we are good people who keep God's commandments. But if you think that, the 10th commandment dismantles that idea. That's the Apostle Paul's arguments in in his letter to the Romans. And he talks about that specific command, you shall not covet, and says when he discovered the law, he discovered sin. That was the commandment that undid him. Because Paul, as a devout very religious teacher of the law believed that he was keeping it until he really considered the ramifications of this last commandment. His outward obedience to the law didn't matter is what he realized. He became convinced that he was a sinner in need of a savior. In other words, Paul recognized he was no better off than anyone else. The truth is, even in this room, we could go around and look at your lives and you may look vastly different in some ways. Some people keep the letter of the law better than others. And some people are just really better at appearances than other people. Some of you are really bad at putting on a good show. It's not necessarily a bad thing. But underneath the outward actions lie inward hearts. And regardless of what you look on the outside, our hearts are all the same. We are really sinning all the time. So is there hope? I said at the beginning, this whole thing is about contentment. Well, how do you get contentment? What's the secret of contentment? Yes, you can get there. But again, it has more to do with our hearts and our desires than our actions. The Tenth Commandment is a heart issue. And so our hearts are what need to be addressed if you hope to find contentment. Remember that coveting is desiring something that doesn't belong to you. And the reason we covet is because we don't desire the right things enough. In other words, the problem is not just that we desire the wrong things. The problem is that we do not desire the right things enough. 
The summary of the commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And coveting, this 10th commandment, is the negative side of that command. When you covet, when you desire wrongly, you are setting your heart on something that does not belong to you. And you are setting your heart on something that doesn't belong to you, and you are doing it in place of something that does. And the reason you do that is because you don't really believe that what God offers you is greater than what you can get for yourself. You don't really trust that God knows better than you do what you really need. And we don't really love the God who has loved us so much that he's given us himself in spite of our willful ignorance and sin against him. He has given himself that we might be called his children. A few years ago, there was a actually pretty fascinating study. It was a study done with young children, sort of a psychological study, sociological study. And the way it worked was this. Their preschool-aged children were taken into a room where they sat down at a table. And on the table was a single marshmallow. And then they were told, the researcher told them that you can eat the marshmallow right away if you want. That's fine. You can eat the marshmallow. Or you can wait. And if you wait, when I come back, I will give you two marshmallows. You can eat this one marshmallow, or you can wait. And when I come back, I will give you two. And then, of course, they left the child alone and they watched through the one-way window. And the children, of course, they fidgeted, they played with the marshmallow, they ate the marshmallow. Sometimes they tried to take small bites out of the marshmallow and then hide them. You can imagine preschool-age children doing these sorts of things. And the researchers kind of went at this question a number of ways, but here's one thing that they found. Children who came from stable homes were more likely to wait for the second marshmallow. In other words, if they came from a home where mom and dad kept their word and followed through, in other words, where they were loved and they could trust, they were more likely to trust the researcher. But children who came from a less stable home, whether it was a broken home with divorced parents, whether it was just inconsistent parenting or, or even and maybe especially an abusive household, the children were much more likely to eat that first marshmallow. And you can probably guess why. They didn't trust the promise of the second one. We need to eat this one because, sure, he says he'll bring a second one back, but we know promises don't mean anything. Your problem is that despite God's love for you, despite the fact that he sent his son into the world for you, despite the fact 
that his love for you is unconditional, that he is always faithful. What, what this command reveals is that we would rather take what we can get and seek contentment in the here and now rather than trust that God really does love you. Your problem is that you are not acting like a child of God for those of you who are trusting in Jesus and who follow him. You are acting like an orphan. The Apostle James, actually I don't think it is the Apostle, but James, writer of the New Testament book, says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? And he says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you don't ask. If you belong to Jesus, this is your task. Jesus says it in the Gospel of Matthew. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. But you need to be running after Jesus until you begin to see and until you grasp and until you are changed by the fact that he has a much greater hope than all the other things that you desire. You need to see Jesus and his gospel as more beautiful than all your other desires, all the other things that you desire, because he is. The only place we find contentment for our discontented hearts is in God. C.S. Lewis, this is a fairly well-known quote, and it's no doubt familiar to some of you, but entirely appropriate here. He says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards that are promised in the Gospels, promised by Jesus, it would seem that our Lord finds that our desires are not too strong, but our desires are too weak. We are half-hearted creatures. We are fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. In the same way that an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Lewis ends by saying we are far too easily pleased. The commandments, all of them, of course, this one especially, are all about the heart. Don't settle for too little. 